0: For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Good morning, everybody. I'm Josh, one of the pastors. I'm real excited that you're here today. We are kicking off a brand new series called Hope Dealers, and I want you to think for a moment um, one of your favorite friendships that you've ever had. Now, there's a chance, depending on your age, that uh, that friendship may be years and years ago, maybe somebody that you knew growing up, and maybe somebody uh, that you've met recently. Um, but I want you to think for a moment that person that is one of your just favorite friends that you've ever had. And I want you to think about the memories that you've experienced with that person. You see, a lot of times when we talk about relationships, especially in a church context. Uh, we'll often talk about marriage. But what's interesting is how much the Bible has to say about friendships. And if we're honest, most of us really struggle to experience great Friendships. We struggle to experience lifelong or even friends that, that walk with us through really, really dark moments. And maybe the person that you think of, that, that favorite friend that you have, maybe they live in a different time zone, they live in a different state, and so you're, you're not able to be with them. But here's the thing about friendships for all of us. If you think about some of your favorite moments, some of those moments that, that just, you just love to tell the stories of, that you just light up when you think about, more than likely there was somebody else with you. Most of us, when we think of our favorite moments in life, we think about moments that include relationships because rarely do we do great things by ourselves. We rarely take long trips by ourselves. We, that moment when we remember standing at the top of a mountain, like one of my favorite memories with friends is being on top of a mountain with a snowboard strapped to my feet and I just love That feeling of just going down together. Maybe for you, you can think of camping trips. You can think of road trips. But the reality is, and here's where we're headed today. The reality is, is that relationships are at the heart of joy and hope. Relationships are at the heart of joy and hope. And while it's true that we have so many memories filled with other people that are just great, heartwarming memories. The opposite is also true. Our moments of, of deepest pain, our moments of, of deepest regrets, often include other people. And, and so relationships are incredibly powerful. I, I think sometimes we actually underestimate the power that relationships have in our lives. And, and, and study after study has shown this over the last several years. Over the last several years we've seen This rise in isolation and loneliness. Think about it like this. Here are a few different stats from different studies. In 2018, almost 50% of Americans said they are sometimes or always feel alone. In the last year, one in three Americans say they face serious loneliness. And this is across ages. This is across uh, relationship status. But the greatest rise in loneliness and isolation is in one group of people those under the age of 18. This has led to increases in suicide, in alcohol and drug use. And what's ironic about this entire thing is that with that rise in loneliness and isolation has also seen the rise in social media and this feeling that we are more connected than ever, but also we have never been this lonely. But the reality is, you and I were not made to live in isolation. You and I were not made to live alone. And and here's what loneliness is. One one professor said this, that loneliness is the distance between our level of connection and our desired level of connection. Now, here's the thing. Each one of us, depending on your personality, has a different desired level of connection. Okay? So in, in our marriage, Katie is the extrovert. Here's the difference in our desired level of connection. Our, for our 40th birthdays, for her birthday party, we invited over 50 people. Six people came to mine. And everyone I invited came. And I loved it. It was great. It was, you know, there were, our closest friends sat around the table. I had to put a cap on how many people we invited to Katie's. Why? Because she has a different desired level of connection. I experience so much life and meet so many fun new people through Katie and Katie experiences so much quiet because of me. And so there's a different level of desired connection that we have. But the reality is no matter where we are on the personality spectrum, we at different moments experience loneliness and isolation. We at different moments experience this gap where we say, this is where I am, but this is really the connection that I hope to have. And so as we're beginning this series, Hope Dealers, we're going to spend the next several weeks walking through the book of Philippians. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context because as we spend this time in Philippians, um, it's important every time we preach through a book of the Bible, every time we open up the Bible, that we understand who it was written to, who wrote it, what was happening surrounding the context. Now, Philippians was written roughly around eighty sixty. 60. Okay, so this was written roughly about 30 years after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, Paul, who wrote roughly two-thirds of the New Testament, wrote the book of Philippians. Now, what makes this book different than the other letters that Paul writes is that Philippians is actually his most intimate letter that he wrote. You feel as you go through Philippians, you feel the love and affection that Paul has for the church in Philippi. You feel just this... This connection that they have to each other. Now, what Paul is doing, he's writing from a jail cell. Now, when we think about prisons, the prison we have in mind is very different than the prison that existed in the first century. Now, in the first century, I want you to think about this in the context of friendships. In the first century, when you were in prison, you were actually dependent on friends and family to provide food, to provide water, to provide clothes, to provide everything you needed. The jailers, it was not their job to feed you. It was not their job to take care of you. It was not their job to make sure that you stayed warm. Now I want you to think, as you think about friendship for a second, if you were in a first century prison, how many friends do you have that would make sure that you were fed, clothed, and taken care of for a length of time? How many people in your life would you go, you know what, I would show up every day at the jail to make sure that they had what they needed. If we're honest, I bet there's very few people in your life that you would do that for. Many of us would think, man, I bet you there's got to be 15 people that would show up for me. But the reality is very few of us actually have those friends that would step into the gap and show up day after day after day to make sure that we were taken care of, out of their own pocket. At some point, maybe we'd wonder, man, Paul, like how many times are you are going to be in prison? This is like multiple... Paul writes so many letters in prison. Can you, have you ever said to somebody, how many times are you going to end up in this same place? How many times are you going to keep doing this? And so Paul writes, but what he does is he writes in prison all by himself. He writes about the fight for joy and hope. And so this entire letter is about how to experience a life filled with joy and hope, how to deal joy and hope to everybody around you. Now, here's what's incredibly important about Philippians. If you read each New Testament letter, one of the things you will find is that they will talk about a number of different topics, but each letter will repeat a topic. And when they do, what they're telling us is this is the most important topic in this book. For example, in the book of James, the writer talks about a whole list of things, but he repeats prayer and suffering only twice, everything else one time. In Philippians, Paul writes about a number of topics that we're going to look at, but he talks about relationships twice. It's the only thing he repeats. And so what Paul is trying to show us is that at the center of joy and hope are relationships. At the center of what brings joy and hope in our lives, of how we bring joy and hope to other people is through relationships. It's how he starts the book, and we'll see at the end of chapter four, it's how he ends Philippians. And so this is why, I don't want us to underestimate the power of, of relationships, the power that relationships bring in our lives for good and for bad. And so this is what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul starts off by saying, this is who I am. I'm Paul, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, and I'm writing to all the saints in Philippi. Philippi at this time was one of the the central locations of, of commerce. It was an incredibly wealthy city. And he says, to all the saints. Now, here's what's interesting. The word saints means to be set apart, to be different. It's how the New Testament describes being a follower of Jesus. Now, one of the things you won't see in the New Testament is the word saint. It's always plural. Each time the writer is saying that to be a follower of Jesus, to be set apart, and to be different, is to not live a life in isolation that is an impossibility to follow Jesus and be alone, that we were made to be in community, we were made for relationships, we were made for friendships. But also, it carries something else: that if you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're not, and if you're not, you get to listen in today on what it means to be a friend as a follower of Jesus, but if you're a follower of Jesus, to be a saint in friendships means that people should look at you and say, "Man, you know what? He is a different kind of friend. She is a different kind of friend. And in a good way, that she's a different kind of friend. There's something different in how they treat the people around them. There's something different in how they respond to the people around them. There's a life that they bring to relationships. There's a different kind of friendship. And so Paul writes out for us what a friend does And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that a friend is safe, gives you their best, and brings out the best in you. That a friend is safe, gives you their best, and brings out the best in you. That that's what Paul is going to call us to in these verses, to be a friend that is safe. And we all want safe friends, right? We all want people who, when we say, hey, here is my deepest, darkest, secret that I have carried around, we want friends that are safe who aren't just gonna post it on social media or you know share it as an unspoken prayer request in a small group. No, we want people who are gonna be safe. And the people around us want that safety. But they also want, and we want, people who bring their best, right? We don't want a friend who is like, you know what, I really just didn't wanna be here, but I had to. And maybe if a friend never says that to you, you have felt that in a conversation. I'm sure you've looked at somebody and said, I don't feel like you're listening to me right now. You've probably said that to somebody at some point. I'm sure someone said that to you at some point. That's not bringing your best. But Paul says a friend is safe, brings their best and brings out the best in you. This is how they do it, look at verse three. We're just gonna go kinda uh, verse by verse here. Verse three, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. And so he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Now remember, Paul is sitting there alone. He's sitting there in a jail cell by himself. Now what what happens when we're alone? What happens when we're in isolation? What happens when we are by ourselves with just our thoughts? We remember. All of a sudden things begin to flood back. All of a sudden conversations, has this ever happened where you lay down and you just replay every conversation from the day? Or you replay every conversation you imagine are gonna happen tomorrow. And you're convinced, and you are ready to make those people pay for imagined conversations. And Paul says, but I remember, and I thank God. Now, here's the thing. A friend, a friend, this is so crucial, a friend remembers the best. A friend remembers the best. Now, I want you to picture it like this. Now, maybe this has happened. I want you to imagine you're at, like, a dinner party with friends, or maybe it's a Thanksgiving meal with your family. Probably your family. This is more likely to happen with family. But you're there with your family. It's Christmas or Thanksgiving, and you're just you're having this great meal. And people are sharing stories. Maybe you haven't seen people for a couple of years, so maybe someone pulls out a photo album and the kids are like, "Well, what's a photo album? And you're trying to describe you know, this whole process that how you had to wait for photos to be developed and the patience it grew in you and you're just so virtuous now. And, and so you're describing this and you're telling this and people say, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? Whatever happened to that person? Oh, do you remember this? Do you remember when we went this camping trip and this amusement park? Do you remember when the car broke down here and you're sharing stories and you're laughing? But then all of a sudden, there's a moment where the stories shift. And that shift happens where slowly we start to tell stories that have a little bit of bite to them. We start to tell stories that make somebody feel a little bit embarrassed or bad about themselves. We slowly share, and everybody's laughing but one person. What are we doing? Well, we're not remembering the best. See, a friend remembers the best. I want you to think for a moment about your closest relationships. Maybe it's with your spouse, it could be uh, with a child or a coworker, boss, friend. Do you remember the best about them or just the worst? See, often the people who are closest to us, we just remember the worst about them. We are there very quickly to remind them. Well, you always. (laughs) You never. I don't know if you know this, but do you remember when you did that? Because I was there. Yes, they remember they were there too. But what do we do? We remember the worst. But what does Paul say? Remember, this is the closest group of people that he has experienced community with in the New Testament. And he says, I thank God for you. And I thank God for every remembrance. Now, I want you to think about your relationships. Are you able to say, I thank God for every remembrance of my spouse? for every remembrance of my child, of my parent, of my friend. Now, what does that mean? It it means that there are some things in their lives that Paul is overlooking. There are some things that Paul is not thinking about because he's choosing to remember the best. And he's choosing to not remember the worst. And here's the thing. There is so much power in the words that we speak to other people, to the people closest to us. You and I have the power to create narratives for the people closest to us. You and I have the power to help people see new futures for their lives by what we say to them. You and I have the power to change the trajectory of a story in how we speak to people. I want you to imagine, do you think the people are sitting there going, man, Paul, but, but what about this time? And there was this other time, and there was this, I mean, they could list all the things. And they, Paul, you know, that can't be right. But what does he say? No, no, I, this is who I see you through the eyes of God. He says, because you're a saint. You're set apart. You've been set free. You have been saved. See, because remember, a friend is safe. It gives you their best and brings out the best in you. Look at verse 5. He goes on. Tells us the second thing. So remember, a friend remembers the best. The second thing in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so Paul says, we are partners Together, we are partners in the gospel, moving as one. This is a different kind of partnership, but this is the foundation of the greatest friendships. Friendships that are partnerships, right? Friendships that that bring out what needs to be brought out. Friends that make up for our weaknesses, right? A, A great partnership is when people are able to say, hey, I'm not very good at that, but you are. And so together, we're actually better. And partners, what do they do? They move as one. They pull on the rope in the same direction. And and here's what happens so many times. Because we want our way in friendships and relationships, we start to pull the rope in our direction and our friend goes, wait a minute. Wait, why are we going that way? No, a friend walks together to be partners because a friend will give you their best and bring out your best. That's what a partner does. See, and and what he says is that we are partners in the grace of God because the grace of God reminds us of who we are, reminds us of our brokenness and our past, but it also reminds us that we are set free from that and have a future hope in Jesus. And so a partner, a friend brings out that best and says, no, no, look what he says in verse six. I love the context of this. He says, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. A friend, as they bring their best, and bring out the best in you, here's what they're doing. They're saying, I see what God is doing in you. Like one of the things that we would say so many times to our kids when they were younger, when they would like apologize for something or we would see how they were, you know, see God move in their life, we would say, hey, I love watching how God is stirring in your heart right now. I love how God is moving in your heart right now. But here's what is so easy for us to do in our closest relationships, to just focus on all the things they did wrong. Instead of pointing out and saying, I see how God is at work in your life. I see how God is moving in your life right now. And it's easier. It's so much easier with people who are at a distance, right? Because the people who are closest to us, they exhaust us. They do. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. But as you remember the best, you bring your best to other people. You bring the best out in them. And a partner doesn't have secrets. I can't tell you how many times I've stood next to somebody and and they're talking to their child and they say, hey, don't tell your mom. Don't tell your dad. Did you ever have that happen growing up? Yeah, you can do that, but don't tell your dad about that. That's, That's not good. Partners don't have secrets. Partners are able to bring all of who they are, all of their story. And that's what a safe friend is. A safe friend is one who knows all of our story and holds it with care and compassion and doesn't run away. Because at this point, it's not a popular thing in the first century to be friends with someone in prison. This is not a good thing. This is not moving the church in Philippi up the cultural ladder. So at this point, they could say, Paul, you know what, Like this really doesn't help us that you're in jail because we're kind of connected to you being in jail. So that's not good. But yet, he's saying, you are safe. You are still bringing your best. You are bringing the best out in me. Here's a couple other ways this happens. Is assuming the best about other people's motives. This is really hard the closer we get to people. It's easy. And this comes from our stories. This comes from our family of origin. And, And let me say this kind of caveat. This does not mean that you blindly and naively trust everybody. But when we assume the best about other people's motives, we are believing that God is at work in their life. We are believing that God is more powerful than we are. Now this may cause, you may have to have some wisdom in some friendships. There are some people who you maybe say, you know what, we're just not gonna be alone together and that's okay. Like there are, there are people in our lives that we've just said, even relatives, we said, you know what, you're just not gonna be alone with our kids, that's just us being wise. But in our closest friendships, Do you assume the best or do you just expect the worst out of people? Another way this plays out is speaking the truth in love. Right now in our culture, especially social media, Christians are really good at just speaking. We'll just say that. They're just really good at speaking. They're just really good at talking. They're like, oh, this is just the truth. i got to tell people the truth. People in my life just need to know the truth. But No you speak it in love do people go that's like a warm blanket that I wanted or do they feel like they just got knocked up the side of the head yeah but I gotta just tell them Josh I gotta you know they just gotta know no speaking the truth in love is when you pull someone close so maybe this if you're a student you've probably had someone do this to you where they pull you in and say okay I know you don't want to hear this but if you keep going down this road I know how this story ends But speaking the truth in love also is when we take that next step and says, but no matter what you do, I'm going to keep walking with you. And when it falls apart, I'll, I'll be there to pick it up. I'll be there with you. That's speaking the truth in love. That's entering in in humility with them. Because a friend remembers the best. A friend will give you their best and expect your best. And here's the last thing in verse 9. What a friend calls us into, this is so important. Because I think what a friend calls us into in the future is one of the things that sets apart the greatest friendships. Look at verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to think for a moment about your friendships, about your closest friendships, it could be your marriage, it could be your, your neighbor, or your coworker. Do the closest friendships in your life call you to a better and deeper authentic faith and relationship with Jesus or not? Do you call people to a better, deeper, and more authentic faith in Jesus? See, Paul is saying, I, I pray that you grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So what Paul is, is he saying, I'm praying into your future. How often do you pray into the future story of the people around you? How often do you believe into the future for them? Now, notice he doesn't say, hey, like I I am, I'm going to, when I show up in Philippi, I'm going to pound knowledge into your head. I'm going to tell you how you, no, he says, I'm praying that you will grow in knowledge in every kind of discernment. So you may approve the things that are superior. And look at that, and may be pure and blameless. Let me ask you this. Do you have friends that will pull you aside and say, hey, you know, I I know we all kind of laughed when you talked about your husband being your third child and you only have two, but that, that really isn't pure and blameless. Do you have friends who will say, hey, you know what? The way that you talk about women, that's not really... Yeah, that's not really pure and blameless. That's pretty disrespectful. Do you have people in your lives that call you into purity and call you in to live in a blameless life in Christ? Here's an example from my own life. So this past week, I, was having, I had one of those nights. Um, it was about 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and I was just tired. It was an exhausting day, and it was exhausting being a parent that day, and I, was, I just started having a pity party, and I texted a really good friend of mine. And I said, hey, man, I just need you to pray for me. Today was just a really, really crummy day. And, and he said, his response back after I waited, you know, I watched these three dots sitting there. He goes, well, what would you do? And I was like, well, it wasn't really me. It was this and this. You know, I started listening on everything. It was everybody else's fault. It was why my day was so bad. You know, if they would have just followed Jesus the way they were supposed to, that day, it would have been great. So I just, you know, listed out all these things. And then he said, so what did, what did you do in that? What was your part in that? Now notice he he still hasn't yet done the Christian cliche of I'll pray for you. He just keeps pushing and pushing. And I said, Well, you know, I did this, I did this, and and then he said, So what do you want me to pray about? Now I could have said, I want you to pray about all the people who are wrong in my life over here. But I've tried that before with this friend, and he would have just gone back to what I had done. And so I told him, I said, I want you to pray this. That'll be this kind of dad. i will be this kind of husband, this kind of friend. I want you to pray for this. And he said, okay, I'll pray for that. Because here's the thing that, I, that I've learned is that the people who are closest to us are God's, and you're not going to like this, but the people who are closest to us are God's greatest tool for your growth. The person that you're married to The kids you have, the friends you have, the people closest to you are God's greatest tool for your growth. You are also God's greatest tool for their growth. And so when things are difficult in our closest relationships, do you you know what is happening? God's working on us. And so we need friends who will say, I will pray that you will grow in the knowledge of what God is doing, that you will stop being stubborn so you can figure it out, that you will be discerning, but also that you will be pure and blameless as you go through it, filled with the fruit of righteousness. See, because here's what a friend does. A friend remembers the best. A friend will give you their best and bring out the best in you, and a friend will pray the best for you. See. Do you have friends that pray into your future for you? And when they pray into the future, they're praying for your growth. They're praying for you to become all that God has called you and created you to be. See, but here's what's easy. It's easy to go through a passage like this. It's easy to hear a sermon about friends and do one of two things. One, to think, man, I would really love to have a friend like that. Or maybe you're thinking of the person that you're going to pass this off to kind of slyly. To say, you know, I don't, you know, I heard this great sermon about friendship. I think it'll encourage you because you're not very good at this. You know, it, but, but here's the thing. Let me ask you this. Are you a friend that remembers the best? Or are you a friend that remembers the worst? Are you a friend that brings your best and brings out the best in other people? Or are you a friend that just kind of shows up and is like, well, I'm here should be glad. Are you a friend that prays the best for their future? That prays the best for them? See, we all want a friend like that. But the reality is, is that as Paul calls us saints and he calls the church of Philippi out, what he's saying is you be this friend. Because this friend is set apart. This friend is different. And, and we can think in our, in our culture, even in this cultural moment, that there are, very few of us have friends like this. Very few of us, and and very few people in our culture experience friends like this, who remember the best, who bring their best, and who pray for the best. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to grab your connection card. And we've been asking every single week, whether you're here with us in person or online, uh, we want to know that you're with us. It was awesome in the first service today, I met eight first-time guests in the first service today. It was incredibly exciting just to see how God is at work as we've relaunched our community kids in both services today um, which is why i'm wearing this awesome shirt instead of my sealer shirt as we get ready for the nfl season Um, but one of the things we want to know that you're here whether this is your first or second time or whether you've been here a hundred times we want you every week to fill out this card and here's why because one we want to make sure that no one in our church falls through the cracks and gets forgotten but two we also believe that every time we open up God's word, every time we sing songs together, we believe that God has a next step for us and we exist to help people take their next step with God because we want to continue growing. God has more for us. And so each week we wanna figure out a way, what is one way for us to take a next step? And so here's our challenge. You'll notice on there, there's several different next steps, whether that's beginning a relationship with Jesus or joining a team or maybe even joining a group. This is the month that all of our community groups are launching. And maybe for you, it's engaging more in relationships. But you'll notice on there, a box that says friend. And that's if you're at a place where you say, you know what, I want to be a friend. I want to be a friend that remembers the best. I want to be a friend that brings their best and brings out the best in others. And I want to be a friend that prays the best. I want to be that friend. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you to check that box. And we're going to send you an email tomorrow that's going to help you just apply this to your friendships. Now, here's, here's something I didn't say in the first service. So you get this. this is, they didn't get this, Okay if you check that box, here's what I can almost promise you, you will have an opportunity in the next 72 hours to really apply these things, and it may more than likely stretch you, which I think is going to be a good thing, because God has something more for you and more for the people that you are in closest friendships with. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll close together. So Father, I thank you that your grace makes us who we are. Your grace saves us and it humbles us and it reminds us that on our own we are broken and helpless and yet your grace doesn't just leave us there but it picks us up and says this is your future this is your hope that you have in jesus because of the life death and resurrection of jesus and because of that we are able to be friends to those around us to be friends that are set apart that are different friends that remember the best friends that bring their best and bring out the best in others and friends that pray for the best so God, I pray that this coming week that you would bring people into our lives who need that kind of friend. God, that we would be that kind of friend to somebody. And God, each one of us need that friend as well. And so I pray for those of us who are maybe in that place of isolation, that place of loneliness, where we say, God, I don't have that friend. I don't have that person that I can text at, at midnight and say, I need you to pray for me. And, and here's, here's what I need you to pray for. But God, that you would give us those friendships, that we would step with courage into those places of uncertainty to have those friends in your name amen well you picked a great week to be here with us whether here in person or online next sunday we are going to continue our series hope dealers and look at how to deal out hope in the midst of darkness and suffering and hardships and so you definitely don't want to miss that week and if you're a guest with us um, if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you. I'll be down front here afterwards. We also, on your way out for guests, have a table with some gift bags on it. Those are there for you. It's just our way of saying thanks for being with us. And we pray and hope you'll have a great Sunday, have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday. See you, everybody.